travel allows me to bring back some ideas and incorporate it into our hotels and restaurants. That's what's great about it. You know, I come up like a lot of ideas that we come up with for our restaurants, like Madrid. You know, it's because of the, the travels that we've done. Some of the executives there have done, and we try to bring it back here to West Michigan. Still, the best grilled octopus I've ever had at Madrid. Fantastic. Oh yeah. Okay, ready. This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Okay, we're recording. And where are we recording, Justin? We are in the lush, new recording studio of the MRLA, something we have talked about for a long time. We took an existing, what was essentially, I don't know, half storage. Yes, flex half, office. Half flex office. Referred to 90% of the time it was storage and turned it into a content room where we have some legitimate podcast recording equipment here. We have a soundproof room. We have our logo on the wall. We're, we're legit. I think the graphic for this might have to be like a photo of the room. So just to paint the picture for our listeners. Yeah, we're going to have to think this is all because of you, our many, <laughs> many listeners. All, all because of you. So thank you. Thank you for making all of this possible. All right, let's get into it. We've got a whole lot of content and a table to actually put some of our content down. Yeah. Also exciting new. I do miss Joe, producer Joe. He'll still be around, but currently in this moment, recording this part, um, he is not in the room. It's like so. a piece of us is missing. Shout, shout out to producer Joe. All right, let's get into Pineapple Express. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to lead on the first one. I think this is interesting. Subway is going to be selling to Rourke Capital for an astonishing $9.6 billion. I know we are a state association. I know that's a big national, frankly, international piece of news. But Subway has a, a special place in my heart going back to my youth. I've, I've always loved Subway. We have a lot of Subways that are members. I mean, yeah, it relates to Michigan as well. All to the good. Uh, Rourke Capital is a very large private equity firm who owns and, and manages Inspire Brands, home of several of the brands that you are familiar with, whether that is Buffalo Wild Wings, Dunkin', Jimmy John's, Arby's. They have brought all of those disparate brands together and I think do a really good job. I mean, private equity, when it comes to the restaurant space, often gets bagged on a little bit as not being engaged with, with what actual hospitality is all about. Sure. I don't think Rourke Capital fits that. I think they are fully engaged in in the industry as it is and participate. And uh, they also take the government relations side of this industry very seriously. So they've been good partners for us. So I think this is uh, good for Subway. I think it creates a more stable future for Subway. And I'm excited. But I will tell you this. It is the third largest sale ever of a restaurant brand. Wow. Dun Duncan couple of years ago was oh. the second largest, little over $11 billion. And what's number one? Do you know? I don't. Oh, I should okay. have done a little more research. thought I was really teeing that up for really you. Really <laughs> more of just enamored with the room here, and I didn't do uh, all the research uh, I should have. But Rourke at, at, at the helm of both the second and the third and, and several others beyond that. So big deal. What do you think about Subway? Do you have, have, you, have you been a Subway customer for your Fan? Life? Yeah. Subway fan, if you will. 
I I love I mean I love Subway. Subway's great. We recently moved to DeWitt and there's a Subway nearby. We have frequented frequented it often. And I will say growing up in good old Perry, there was always a Subway and they had revolutionary technology. Perry has just for those who don't know Perry, Michigan, right off of I-69, has every <laughs> fast food brand you can possibly imagine in it, Subway included. So many. Recently a KFC, there's a Big B opening soon. It's been on the list for a few years. Anyway, we don't have to get into to Perry, uh, Perry hospitality, but I could. Let me just put it that way. Anyway, they had like a touchscreen drive-through ordering system when I was in high school, and that was state of the art. Real, I mean, at the time, it was it was pretty good technology. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Subway. I have some Uh-oh. suggestions, if you will. Some beef. Yeah, they they got rid of the sweet onion sauce and they change it to just sweet onion teriyaki and I don't know why we had to combine those two and only provide that as an option. That's Must not have tested well in the focus groups. Yeah and as we know we should give all of our decision making over to focus groups. Wow well do you have a go-to is there is there a specific sandwich on the menu that you're your consistent go-to because yeah I, you're right that's 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 not the only change it feels like there's been a lot of dramatic change on the menu at Subway. Yeah they did a big menu change and they got rid of uh, was it cucumbers for a while? It was either pickles or cucumbers. I can't remember. I think they're back, but that was that was a rough one in our household for a minute. My go-to is like the chicken sweet onion teriyaki mm. sandwich. It's pretty but, good. But, but sans teriyaki. It's just like it becomes too much teriyaki at that mm. point. Too much of a good thing. Yeah, can gotcha. can go bad. What about you? What's, yeah, I, what's I, your take? I've had a go-to that goes back to like age 14 and I it's it's mildly embarrassing. I don't even know how it's still on the menu. I thought for sure this would have been on the cutting room floor when they updated the menu tremendously, but it's the cold cut combo. Okay. I love the cold cut combo. <laughs> I do. I, I I hit it with a lot of vegetables and I hit it with a lot of the red wine vinegar, a little bit of oil, mm. douse that thing in red wine vinegar. Coca combo is really just glorified bologna, though. I mean, <laughs> it's, it is. And so, you know, I, 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 it's like my private order. I don't want people around when I'm doing it. Uh, you only go in when the restaurant's empty. Yeah. 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 They're like, Jim, do we still have cold cut combo? <laughs> is it? I don't know. I think it's that thing over there. No one ever orders it. Do they still make bologna? Like, I don't understand. Well, it's not just straight up bologna. It's like a bologna version of a variety of things. And I don't know if that sounds better. Well, I, you know, listen, uh, it is what it is. I we, am who I am. I love what I love and I, I, I want you to accept me for it. But cold cut combo, it is what it is. I hope, I hope, I hope Roar Capital. And if you're listening, don't get rid of the cold cut combo. Keep it. But bring back the sweet onion. Right, there we go. We're all Listen winning. to us. It's probably a good time to move on. Next story. Sure thing. Okay. Listen, Justin, you, this is your favorite topic. And so I really picked this story out. Actually, I'll cut the BS. You sent me this story this morning. So Pickleball, Camp Pickle, which we talked about, I don't know, a year ago on this podcast. That so might have started the Pickleball drama theme. Ridiculous on this. name. Camp, Camp Pickle. <laughs> Camp Pickle. Um, it has, you know, it's not ridiculous. It has unlocked $200 million for growth. The concept has not launched. It has not gone live yet. And to remind our listeners, this is an entertainment facility so to say, where they would have food and drinks, but also you can go and play pickleball while you're experiencing all those things. Kind of like Lansing Shuffle. Oh, very similar. So this is like almost like a 
a preview to our upcoming interview, a little teaser, because pickleball will be prominently displayed. I'm not gonna, we're not going to give it away just yet, but that'll be a prominent portion of the discussion. Maybe, maybe, frankly, some of the investment coming from, I mean, Grand Rapids has been, it's not just, it's not just beer city, it's, it's pickleball city. It is. It is. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of these popping up in Michigan or several in Michigan soon. But yeah, they have, uh, it, it just goes to show how popular pickleball is despite your hate for it. Um, I don't hate it. Just, just remember, tennis still exists. It's still a thing. It still exists. Probably. Right. And you can stand on your pedestal and say that. But we all down here enjoy pickleball. I, I'm ready to play. I am eager and ready for the opportunity to move into some pickleball without forsaking the sport of tennis. All right, moving on. Okay, I wanted to talk about this story. I saw this in Lodging Magazine, and I think it's interesting in, in talking about the future of the industry and, and who is building hotels and what we're going to see in the future supply. So it, it talks about chains versus independents and how the, the segments have experienced semi-similar recoveries, but I think have, a, at least this data would seem to suggest, very different futures in terms of the overall impact on the hotel industry. So Looking back to 2019 and talking about the growth of, of the industry and, and segmenting it by independence and uh, chains. And so I thought it was interesting that on the independent side, through May of this year, independent supplies actually declined 0.4%, uh, while the volume of chain rooms increased 1.2%. Hmm. If you go back all the way to 19, that's even more dramatic. Uh, independent supply has been has decreased 2.2%. So you can feel that they've felt the impact of the pandemic more acutely than the chains. It makes sense. You feel that on the restaurant side too. Right. Chains have had the ability to absorb the financial hit that came from decre- decreased travel. But those 2019 numbers even more dramatic with a 2.2% decrease on the independent side and, cha- and chain supply up 4.7% over that same time. What you've seen, the decrease of supply has allowed those independents that are still operating to thrive a little bit better. They are operating with a better increase in the ADR. That is the average daily rate for maybe some of our restaurant listeners, not not really attuned to the whole hotel industry jargon. And the RevPAR, which is basically a stat that suggests the profitability, uh, revenue per available room that's coming in from hotels has also been better on the independent side than it has for the chain side. But a lot of that is because there's just less supply out there. And I think the, the really the, the, the big number to take away from this is that if you look going forward, if you look at the pipeline that's out, what's, what's being built right now, so what will we see in the marketplace in the next year, the largest companies, that is the, the, the big six, IHG, Choice, Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott, and Wyndham, account for 80% of all rooms in that active pipeline. That is wow. astonishing. Four out of five, number. four to five rooms that are going to be ready and operating soon are all part of the big six. That consolidation coming post-pandemic, uh, which is interesting. Just to put that in perspective, in 2010, so not that long ago, 13 years ago from now, we were looking at those same big six accounting for a little less than 60% uh, of that pipeline. That's so, huge growth, right? That's, that's in that amount of time. That's a massive amount of, of, of increase of the dominance of, of what comes next in this marketplace. So that's uh, an interesting future for independence. I think that, listen, we're always going to work with the big six. We have great relationships uh, with them and with AHLA at the, at the national level. 
we're going to work to protect the industry overall. I think part of our, our niche at the state association level is to be that that level of support for our independent hoteliers. And, you know, they, they are, they are a, a targeted, more niche portion of this industry going forward. So those who are listening, I hope they know that, that we're, we're here and are focusing a lot of our energy, energy is making sure you are going to be successful. Well said. Thanks. What do you think that means for the industry overall, that, that more corporate is taking up more of that space? I guess specifically in Michigan, like, do you, because I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know that much about other states in that sense, but it seems like up north, upper peninsula, there's so much independence. And as that pipeline grows for the big six, like you said, what do you how do you see that changing like landscapes or vibes in Michigan? Yeah, or it's not? Difficult. I mean, people like consistency, consistency. They like a clean room. They know what they're going to expect. It's not unlike what they what you get when you're going to go to a chain on a restaurant side of the equation. And the fact that you can usually do that at a unit price that can be a little bit cheaper when you've got so much supply in, in the marketplace, I think it gives you a huge advantage, obviously, if you're on the on the the branded side of the equation. It's going to be up to the, the consumer, though, whether they want something that is, is consistent and replicable, but maybe the same, you know, too much the same, or are you really looking like you really see more in the restaurant side of the equation? Do you want something that's authentic and unique to where you are at that point in time? I always think of the vault. We talked about the vault yeah. three or four times on this podcast, but that is a hotel in Houghton, far western UP. That is a unique independent hotel. You're not going to have an experience like that elsewhere. And there's value. There's value in that. And there, and there should be. There should be a, a vibrant marketplace for that kind of unique special experience. And that's one we're going to defend and hopefully make sure that that number doesn't go too far in the other directions that we are we are representing and helping to survive many of those independent hoteliers. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see what those bigger brands develop that make it feel independent, if that makes sense, more boutique. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to track over the next decade or so. Okay. Moving on to some internal news, but big news overall for the association and for the industry, the Michigan Hospitality Foundation. Have you heard of it? I believe I have. Oh, me too. used to be called the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association Educational Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So the MHF collaborated with KitchenAid brand to develop uh, the next generation of culinary professionals. So KitchenAid is working with the foundation to provide support in a three-year agreement with KitchenAid and the Whirlpool Corporation to support the hospitality educational programming throughout the state that we provide, if no one picked up on uh, my subtle jokes there, through our nonprofit association, the MHF. This is a big, this is a big collaboration within the state and for the foundation. Um, they launched this during the annual educator professional development workshop, the teacher roundtable, a couple of weeks ago up at Boyne Mountain. Um, so they'll be hosting teacher webinars. So for our ProStart program and the hospitality and tourism management program that's freshly launching in Michigan, teacher webinars and training so that those teachers can then bring that education to their high school students donating uh, materials such as stand mixers and supporting our statewide competition that we host every year. So really big potential there, and it's just getting started. Mm. This is straight pure Michigan, baby. This is a great fundamental Michigan company working with a foundation, ours, to create a better future uh, for those who are in this industry. And 
and hopefully those who are soon to be in this industry. So it's great philanthropy on one side of the equation, but I think it's great business for them as well to get their brand and how they operate in the minds of the future leaders of this industry early. So I think this partnership makes a whole lot of sense. I think it's going to be great for the students to have access to some some kitchen equipment that they just otherwise don't and the quality that they might not otherwise have across the state. It's a big deal. And I think it's uh, we're, we're something we're pretty proud of here. Uh, I think this is unique in the nation. It's certainly a state hospitality foundation leading and creating this kind of partnership going forward. So excited to see how it plays out, but we're, we're pretty excited to have this partnership. Absolutely. Speaking of Pure Michigan, let's go into Pineapple Plaudits, shall we? Let's do it. So to kick that off, Michigan's State Travel Tourism Director, Dave Lorenz, was named State Tourism Director of the Year, I believe it was earlier this week, for he's the Vice President of Travel Michigan and was awarded that at the Educational Seminar for Tourism Organizations, better known as ESTO, hosted by the U.S. Travel Association. Yeah, Esto was actually here in Michigan. Uh, was it last year? I last August? It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kudos to Dave. Uh, and 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 much deserved. He's been a leader nationally amongst these state directors for a long time. I think a lot of people come to him for advice and guidance. We all know the Pure Michigan campaign is the envy of all other states. I certainly believe that to be true. Me too. Uh, and and so there's there's a lot of justification here. So congratulations to Dave. Absolutely. All right, we have a few more here on the list. Going up to Mackinac Island, the Island House Hotel was named one of the top 10 historic hotels in the country by USA Today. Another shout out for Todd Calloward on this podcast. You would almost think that he's sponsoring this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well deserved. We love the Island House. That's like our second home. So kudos kudos to Todd. There's been a lot of awards for the Island House. A lot of awards for Mackinac Island in general of late. It just, it's, having its, it's having its moment for sure. As it should. Although it kind of makes me go, oh, now everyone's, everyone else is going to come here. It's not, our, it's not our special little Michigan secret. Anything else in Michigan or, excuse me, on Mackinac Island happened recently that we should maybe highlight, talk about? Well, I don't know if it counts as a plot it, but thanks for that transition. We hosted, uh, we launched the Women in Hospitality Leadership Mackinac Island chapter earlier this week. So by the time this comes out, it'll be last week. But we launched that chapter and we had special guest speaker, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, join On us. her birthday. And we did sing happy birthday to her. So I saw the pictures. I was uh, not in attendance, but huge attendance at this event. Yeah, we had around, I think, 60 or so people come out to connect and a a lot of networking and obviously hear from the governor. And it was a a great launch and great, great pitch for the Will Conference that's coming up in November, which is on the verge of selling out. Oh, good tickets now. What, What is the date and where can they get those tickets? November 15th. It is in Grand Rapids again this year. This is our second annual conference for the Will Conference. And willcon.com is where you can purchase tickets. W-I-H-L-C-O-N. Correct. Dot com. That's the one. Got it. Love it. Good plug. We're not usually plug people, but we that was a good plug. Yeah. Try to avoid it. Um, last one on the list here for our plaudits is Restaurant Partners raised funds for Maui Relief this week. On August 22nd, they, across all of their brands, restaurants, and hotels, they donated 100% of their proceeds to Maui Relief. So half of that went to Red Cross and the other half went to the Hawaii Restaurant Association's uh, Hospitality Employee Relief Fund. Yeah, Jeff Lobdell has been on top of this from moment one. He uh, is the owner of Restaurant Partners. He is a former chair of ours, and he is the soon-to-be chair of the National Restaurant Association. And he really 
this isn't something that was was pushed to him and he pushed it out. He has been pushing everyone, including us, to do more and be more to help those in, in need in Maui. And so uh, kudos to him and for his leadership. There's a lot of people that are going to benefit because of it. Absolutely. Okay, our last segment of the day for Fork's sake, we have a few things on the list here. First up, the U.S. General Services Administration boosts the lodging per diem for government travel, which is something that we were working with HLA on to uh, spread that message to, to get that increase in there. Yeah, don't think we didn't immediately push this, new, push this news over to the relevant State Department uh, that talks about the state per diem rate to suggest to them that maybe theirs is a little out of line with worth not just the national average, but other states uh, around us. And so we had a great meeting on our Capitol earlier this year with state leaders in charge of uh, dictating the per diem rate. And I think this, this U.S. GSA uh, increase to the per diem rate is going to be a great precursor to getting Michigan's increase next year. Let's hope so. Yeah. The last thing on the list is there may be change coming soon for the joint employer rule. Do you want to give a rundown of that? Yeah, I mean, forevermore, right? This has been a back and a forth and a back and a forth. Uh, it started in the Obama administration and then the Trump administration put a permanent pause on that. And since the Biden administration took over and leadership has changed, you're at the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. The push has been right back on. So in the coming days, the NLRB is expected to decide on a final rule concerning the joint employer standards and their definitions. The new rule will most likely be vague and adopt a broader circumstances in which a company can be considered a joint employer, increasing an employer's legal liability. The final rule is expected to redefine the qualifications that would make a restaurant operator jointly liable for labor or employment violations committed by an entity with which they have a business relationship, which is a change from 2020's direct and immediate joint employer standards. So this has gone back and forth. There are those certainly in the in the organized labor side of the world that want to see this standard enacted because it makes it easier to take on a large brand and organize them organically as a whole. Think of McDonald's, right, and, and, and going after them. But but or, McDonald's, like so many other brands, are predominantly franchised. Those are independent small businesses, and we believe should be treated as such. Those are owned by separate groups. It could be a group with two, maybe three locations. And if there is one bad apple anywhere, that should not somehow be be uh, relevant to the entirety of a brand when there really are distinct ownership and distinct distinct decisions being made on labor by those small businesses. So uh, joint employer is bad. We'll continue to be working with the National Restaurant Association and the AHLA uh, opposing these changes, and, and we'll see what comes out next. Okay, I think it's time for us to uh, get into our interview here. Who do we have today, Justin? Oh, we have a very special guest. One, when we started this podcast, I already I wrote on the short list of, I want this guy in the podcast. He is the epitome of cool. He is known as the night mayor. The uh, night mayor. Yes. Did what did it sound like when I said it? Nightmare. <laughs> oh, he's he's not the nightmare. Uh, no. He is the nightmare of any boredom. Uh, he creates. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, he is uh, an exciting guy, and he has really been the, the king of hospitality in Grand Rapids for a long time. So we are excited to bring on George Aquino today. Today we have George Aquino, Vice President and Managing Director of AHC Hospitality and avid pickleball player, hotelier, food and travel columnist. 
joining us on the podcast. Fate has beautifully intervened in George Aquino's life, intertwining his passions for travel, food, writing, and photography with his career calling as a global hotelier. After immigrating to the United States as a teenager, George went on to study at the University of Iowa, the Institute of Culinary Education in New York, and Cornell University for its advanced management program in hospitality. George's career took off from a busboy to director of food and beverage and eventually the general manager at Peter Island Resort in the British Virgin Islands within five years. Since then, his career path has flourished with AHC Hospitality from director of operations and marketing to the opening general manager of the JW Marriott. In 2014, AHC Hospitality promoted George to vice president and managing director for the company, overseeing development and domestic and international property operations. He is instrumental in growing the company's hotel portfolio from four hotels in 2014 to 11 hotels in 2022. The portfolio includes 26 restaurants, bars, and food concepts. George was also a food critic and travel writer for MLive Media from 2009 to 2016. He also wrote and photographed a food and travel column for Lake Magazine and Solace Magazine. Besides writing and photography, George is an avid pickleball player and certified pro instructor. In 2021, George co-founded 20 by 44 Sports with his mixed doubles partner, Stephanie Hino. 20 by 44 Sports is a pickleball hospitality company focused on promoting the sport through camps, tournaments, and travel. He and Stephanie are ambassadors for Beer City Open Pickleball Championship held in Grand Rapids every year. George is married to Elena, his wife of 30 years. They have three grown children living in New York City, Nashville, and Los Angeles. George, welcome to the podcast. You've been on our interview guest list for quite a while now, and you have quite the career in hospitality. So can you give us just a quick overview of your career? What brought you to want to explore hospitality after you immigrated to the U.S. and, you know, your your snapshot journey from busser to vice president now? Yeah, actually, my, my journey is quite interesting, though not really unique by any means. You know, I moved to the U.S. in my junior year in high school just because I wanted to be uh, closer to my sister who lived in the U.S. And then uh, after high school in California, I went to school at University of Iowa. And then after four years there, I moved to Chicago and desperate for a job. I majored in, in journalism and there was no money in writing. So I was just desperate for a job. And a friend of mine who was working in a luxury hotel there in Chicago said, well, why don't you work as a server at the restaurant? You know, unbeknownst to me, the, the restaurant was the number one fine dining French restaurant in Chicago. And what I had applied, I was very confident that I'd get in because, you know, I was well-traveled. And But to my surprise and disappointment, I was not even close to being qualified to be a server in a French fine dining restaurant. So they offered me a job as a, a bus attendant. And certainly that was a humbling experience for me. You know, it was really out of desperation. I took it because I needed to pay for my rent. But I also took it as a, as a challenge that to prove that I can do that can be better than that. And, you know, so I started as a busboy, you know, wearing that penguin outfit, that short black tuxedo and bow tie every day. I, I had to work the morning shift. So I'd go out at night and, you know, take a few hours sleep and then take a shower and, and take the bus at five o'clock in the morning to get to my six o'clock shift. And, you know, working as a busboy is probably one of the best things I ever did, you know, because it, besides humbling me, I realized there's so much work 
you know, there's a lot of people involved in, in, in serving a guest and delivering that memorable experience. And that busboy experience was just, you know, I learned so much about the intricate things that people have to do to deliver that, that, that memorable service uh, and memorable experience to our guests. And I took that job with the goal that I, I want to be a server in, in a year. Fortunately, I did well enough that I, I be- became a server after three months. And then nine months afterwards, I became the maitre d' of the number one restaurant in Chicago wow. called Lucille Blue. And when I was offered that job, you know, I never really thought of hospitality as a career. It just never dawned on me that that could be a career. But my general manager at the time said, you know, this, you got something here that, you know, it, it's, it's inherent in you that you should be in hospitality. So I kind of set the goal of, you know, hey, I, I think this is going to be my career. And I was a little bit lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I was offered that job to be the major D and it's my first salary job, I'm like, okay, maybe this is it. And I truly enjoyed it. And so I set some goals. I said, you know, by the time I'm 40, I want to be director of food and beverage. By the time I'm 50, I want to be um, a general manager of a hotel. And the following year, I got promoted again to be director of catering. And then the following year to be assistant F&B director. And it just, things were going well. And then unfortunately, the hotel had to be sold. It's the Mayfair Region Hotel in Chicago and it merged with Four Seasons. Yeah, I got offered a job by Four Seasons, but it was kind of a step down for me as assistant F&B director. And I wanted to work at a much larger property with a lot of food and beverage outlets. And a friend of mine told me that, hey, there's this beautiful hotel, really of all places, Grand Rapids, Michigan, that you should look into called the Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. And I looked into it and, you know, to my surprise, it was just an amazing, amazing hotel, historic hotel. And actually, a lot of the uh, lodging books used Amway Grand as an example in, in the books when I was reading. So I applied for a job as an assistant F&B director here, and I got the job, obviously. And after a couple of months in Grand Rapids, this was in 1992, downtown Grand Rapids was n- not even close to what we have now, you know. The arena area was pretty much boarded up. A lot of abandoned buildings. There were, I think, two bars to go to downtown or three bars to go to downtown. And then the restaurants were really, really all in the Amagram Plaza. And that's it. So I started getting a little bit bored after six months. And then uh, Mr. DeVos and Mr. Van Andel, the owners of Amway Corp, said, hey, we have somebody retiring, the director of food and beverage, retiring at Peter Island Resort in the British Virgin Islands. This is something you would want to do. So long story short, I, you know, in, in five years, I went from a busboy to the director of food and beverage at Peter Island Resort in the British Virgin Islands, you know, with housing paid. And I'm li- living there with a view of the beach you know. So it, it was really from that point on, it just it, it just uh, I mean, my career just skyrocketed. But it took a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of hard work. And I would say, you know, that experience starting out from the bottom was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, you know, because it really made me appreciate everyone that works in the industry and what they do. And from that point on, that was 93 when I got promoted to uh, British Virgin Islands as director of food and beverage. By the time I left there in 96, I was the general manager. And then I came back to Grand Rapids when I was asked to come back and 
see what was happening. You know, that's 96 is when the arena was was uh, built and things were starting to shape up there. And I'm glad that timing worked out well for me because it allowed me to to grow with the city. I, I never thought I would be here that long. Uh, my wife is from Grand Rapids. I said two years max. Uh, but every time I got the itch, itch to do something else or go somewhere more exotic, uh, something exciting ha- is you know is uh, presented to me, and and one of them was obviously opening the JW Marriott in two thousand and seven. George, there's a there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with this. You're the the first part of your career basically sounds like it may be season three of the Bear. Uh, that, that kind <laughs> yeah. of ascendancy, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast recently. I was uh, wondering how long it would take to get a bear great. reference. It, it just it, it felt right. The Chicago rising uh, rising up quickly uh, made a lot of sense, and then the Major D at, at the number one restaurant definitely cinched it for me. So I I love that career arc, and and there's so many great stories of of success in this industry. You got You got You got to tell me though. You you are you are blessed with an opportunity to work in a leadership role in the Virgin Islands. And I love, I mean, listen, no one's out here promoting. It's, it's a British Virgin Islands. The British Virgin Islands. It's a British Virgin Islands. Apologies. But no one's out here promoting. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> no one's out here promoting Michigan more than us. And Grand Rapids is an, a, a, an amazing town, but the British Virgin Islands is a pretty good place to be, especially when you've got a solid job. Why, what, what was compelling about Grand Rapids to bring you back here? Well, the reason I came back is, you know, the company, AHC Hospitality, said that we have an opportunity here to to really grow this market. And also, personally, you know, we our, our first child, you know, was raised in the BVI. So we wanted her to be closer to my wife's family, and, and that was really important. And, and that's the, one of the compelling reasons why we came back here. We didn't want our child to grow up not knowing the family members. So that was really the opportunity for us. And that time, 96, was a very pivotal year for downtown Grand Rapids. You know, as I said, with the arena and uh, all the medical facilities all you know, starting to happen at that time. So I thought this could be a good opportunity for me to grow. You know, because, you know, the living in the Caribbean was really special. But, you know, you're 52 rooms. There's nothing else there except the resort. And uh, I also had to make sure that my wife is happy, <laughs> you know. When she started reading a book, one book a day, I thought, oh, maybe it's time for me to move back <laughs> to the U.S. Well, and, it's been- uh, fortunately, Grand Rapids is really, uh, I, we came back at the right time when things were starting to peak. Well, it's been to our benefit in Michigan and especially to those in Grand Rapids in this scene because you've elevated to now be called the king of hospitality in Grand Rapids. I believe yeah. Mayor Bliss calls you the night mayor. That's an interesting title in and of itself. So how, how did you move into that position? You came back in 96 and now, and you fast forward to now and you're the king of hospitality in one of the greatest restaurant and hospitality towns in the Midwest. Uh, what happened there? Well, I would say Rick Wynn is probably the king of hospitality. <laughs> I like that. But, uh, no, seriously, what I do on a personal level and professional level, it, it, it's so gray because it, it's a mix. It, it's just all mixed in one big pot. You know, I, I I wrote my writing eventually came back and my photography. I love photography. Came, came full circle and you know I wrote for I was the writer for Shore Magazine and also was the food critic 
food and restaurant critic for M Live and also the travel writer for M Live. And I was able to do all the things that I love. And I think that combination of writing and and being known in the public and being a food critic and going to all the restaurants and being able to share those experiences allowed me to have that notoriety in town that this is somebody that maybe, you know, might know a little bit or maybe can share what is happening in the industry, not just in West Michigan or Michigan, but also outside. And through my writing, I was able to share what was happening in Europe, what was happening in Asia. But also, I hope I was able to elevate uh, hospitality in general and tourism in general by exposing the public to all my experiences. And I think, you know, I really, what what drove me is, you know, I, I, I tell our, our new associates, you know, here, like, you know, my, my experience, I'm like, a lot of them are just graduating from college. They don't know what they want to do, even though maybe they graduate from hospitality. But a lot of people just don't know. And I think, you know, you got to just go with the journey. And if you feel like this is something that you really want to do, then, then go all in. And uh, I've just been blessed to be to work with great people and a great company. And the city and West Michigan has really embraced my role here. And it's just been very, very fortunate. And I just went ahead and, and went all in, you know, and got involved with United Way, got involved with, you know, Experience Grand Rapids and the Economic Club. And you got to be part of the, you got to be part of that solution. You got to be part of that future. And you got to really invest in it. And I've just been very fortunate that, you know, that this area, or actually Michigan in general, has allowed me to blossom. You know, as an immigrant, as an Asian, you know, I, it's been very rewarding for me to be here. I think it's really interesting what you said about, you know, you went to school in Iowa, right, for journalism, and then in your career in hospitality, we're able to tie that in back together years later. And I, I just think it's so interesting because oftentimes when we're talking about the next generation of workforce for the hospitality industry, it's not just, you know, bartending or serving or working a front desk. You can you can carve out what you're specifically interested in, whether that's writing, marketing, you know, communication, sales. Uh, there's so many options there. So I just think it's it's really interesting that you were able to marry those two things together for your career. For as a food critic and travel writer for M Live, did you have a do you have a best of the best story you could quickly share with our listeners? Well, probably my you know actually the timing is actually perfect. But the best or at least probably the most read story I ever wrote was the time I took our oldest daughter Margot on a college tour in Chicago. You know, we went to Northwestern and uh, University of Chicago. And and then when you know took her out, went to nice restaurants, <laughs> and I think it's just that I I wrote about it as a father, and how that experience of of letting go your first child, you know, and I think there was so much emotion in that article that it resonated with a lot of people, and it's very rewarding for me when people come up to me and so talk about that experience because every year people, especially parents were, you know, like right now, they're sending their kids off to college. It's an experience that we all share. And that's been really, uh, I think, very rewarding for me to be able to share something very, very personal in, in writing. As a food critic, really, the I wanted to be an honest food critic, you know, I would share the highlights, but also 
my critique of some of these things. And I got a little bit of slack with some people, you know, uh, some people like would blame me that, Hey, you closed down the restaurant because of your article. And, and, you know, it's like, well, I'm the only one there on a Saturday night. You know, maybe that's a problem, but it, it allowed me to hopefully challenge the restaurant scene here in Grand Rapids, you know, to become better. And, but I also wrote, you know, you know, I, I wanted to be honest, but, you know, I wasn't there to destroy a business. You know, I wanted to elevate them and to let people know, too, that we got some amazing talent, chefs and bartenders and servers here in our own state, you know, and we have product that's amazing. And that's you know, really my mission is to elevate the whole uh, restaurant scene in West Michigan by showcasing you know, some of these amazing restaurants and also service and, and staff. Well, it's always been my impression you're involved in a lot of the different uh, organizations that lead Grand Rapids. My, my understanding is Grand Rapids has always been a, a town that works together collaboratively for, for results that always seem to outkick its coverage. It, it is a mid-sized city that operates with a success level of a very large city. It can bring a hospitality scene of a scene much of a city much, much larger than its actual size. And I think you play a huge role in that. So we've got your expertise here. Can you share a little bit with us right now where you think the scene is, the hospitality scene is in Grand Rapids right now, how you think it holds up to other Midwestern cities, uh, and maybe what the future you think uh, of, of what opportunities still exist out there for Grand Rapids? Yeah. Well, we're very blessed that the private and public sector really work well together for the benefit of the, of the region. And I think we have a lot of amazing things happening here uh, in the next couple of years. You know, obviously everyone knows about the amphitheater. That's going to be very, very exciting for the city. And we continue to, you know, invite investors from out of town to keep this thing going. You know, you know, Beer City, we've accomplished that. I think we got a lot more coming uh, our way, especially with the whole downtown area with more restaurants coming in. I think the amphitheater is going to bring, you know, will will elevate the city even more, having things downtown. And I know we have other projects that we're working on. Uh, and the goal is always to make the region and the city better. And we're blessed that the private sector works very well with the public sector in raising funds and collaborating to make sure this happens, this growth continues. I think we're only seeing, you know, the tip of the iceberg as far as where Garden Rapids could be. And I know, you know, friends that would visit here and they're just so surprised on how vibrant the city is and how walkable it is and what we have to offer. You know, what the big cities, you know, we have everything that the big city has to offer, which is in a smaller and more intimate package. And I think we're people are going to be surprised where we're going to be in the next five to 10 years because we got a lot of great things that's happening right now. And then thanks in part because of the collaboration between the public and private sector. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very well said. You just Let's just pivot. You know what you want to talk about. I, I could talk hospitality scene in Grand Rapids all day because there are so many amazing restaurants and great hotels. But let's hit let's hit what you we know what Emily wants to talk about, George. Let's let's get to it. <laughs> We just we can't skip it. I mean, it has to it has to be a point of conversation. And speaking of the growth of Grand Rapids and the connection and continuing to, uh, like you said earlier, challenge hospitality and go in new directions. 
The pickleball craze across the country is very real. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but we haven't talked a lot about it specifically coming to Michigan. So this is something that you're passionate about, and you created uh, 20 by 44 Sports. Can you explain what that is, why you started it, and how you see it mixing in, intermixing with hospitality in Michigan? Well, I never knew there was a pickleball craze. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, isn't it incredible? Uh, before COVID, I really didn't even know about pickleball. And I got, I just decided, you know, you know what, we're going to be, we're building a pickleball courts uh, at our resort in the British Virgin Islands, Peter Island. So I thought during COVID, let me figure out what the sport is so I can maybe, you know, improve on it and really come up with a good programming for our resort. And I started playing uh, during COVID. As an ex-tennis player, I actually got a D1 scholarship in tennis. I thought, you know, let me give this this sport a try. You know, of course, like any other tennis player, it's like, what is this crazy name like pickleball? But I actually <laughs> That's just enjoyed it because uh, <laughs> Well, the thing is, you know what? I when I started playing it, I started to hit balls like 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 I used to when I was you know competing in tennis and when I was a teenager. Like I can hit the backhands and the forehands, and and I I can hit it like I used to hit it, you know. Because now I, I I'll grab a tennis racket and I get it, you know. And there's no way I'll just get frustrated because I can't hit like I used to. But that's what pickleball allowed me to do. It's like, oh my gosh, I can pick this up pretty quickly, become competitive, and you know I I can see why this sport has grown so much over the past uh, three years. And because all you need is one or two lessons and then you can start playing. Tennis is a lot, a lot more difficult to learn and uh, a lot more expensive, too, to keep up. So uh, I decided, you know what, let's I I think I want to do something fun with this thing. So my good friend Stephanie Hino and I decided to start a pickleball hospitality company called 20 by 44 Sports. 20 by 44 is the size of a pickleball court. So it's 20 feet by 44 feet, just an FYI. And and we started out by, you know, proposing, hey, let's turn these two tennis courts that we have at the rooftop of the Amagram Plaza that we've had for 30-some years. And I can tell you how many people I've seen play tennis there with, with my hands, you know. <laughs> let's turn these things into pickleball courts. We turned into four pickleball courts. And the first weekend that we opened the pickleball courts last year, we had more people there over that weekend than the amount of tennis players I've seen in 30 years at the hotel. Uh, so it just kind of gives you an idea why I think this sport is booming. It's just because anyone can play. It was known as a you know kind of a senior citizen sport. But let me tell you, in the last two years, I've seen younger and younger people getting into this sport. And I wouldn't be surprised when... It becomes a, a high school sport. I know it's happening in college now. Oh, and wow. I think for West Michigan, for this little town, we we have a lot of pickleball players compared to other cities. And my goal, my next goal now is to really make Grand Rapids pickleball city because I, I really think we we have the, the public support. We have an amazing facility called Belknap Park where we host uh, the Beer City Open every year. And it's one of the top 10 as far as number of participants in the country, okay? And uh, I think we have an opportunity here in West Michigan, but also in Michigan in general, to promote the sport and become one of the top states for pickleball. 
Uh, and I'm really be, we're so excited to be a big part of that. Our AHC Hospitality is a, is a title sponsor for the Beer City Open Pickleball. And we're just, we're just so excited as far as the financial impact that that one week of pickleball brings here. And if we can do this a couple of times a year with other tournaments, I think it's going to be a game changer for us. Okay, I'm sold. Finally. It didn't it didn't take too much. George George they, sold it on we need, me. We need to play, Justin. We need to play. Uh, if we you can know, find we some court space. It sounds like it might be a challenge for us to find some some available court space, but I would be Oh, well, we have courts here at the hotel. So. I'd be happy to play at the hotel. We'll get some beer for the Beer City yeah. and, and play. Yeah, court space is really becoming an issue. I think this is something, I think, for uh, you to, you know, really the organizations to figure out how we can bring indoor-outdoor courts here with restaurants. You know, this is an opportunity because it's happening in a lot of states now, you know, like the chicken and pickle and pickle and social. The, these uh, combination pickleball courts and, and event space and restaurant is happening. And we need to bring that to Michigan, not just to West Michigan, but to Michigan, because the, the sport is really very popular in the entire state. I mean, if the MRLA can do a sailing event like we did this year, which I never would have expected that to happen, we sure as heck can do a pickleball <laughs> event next year on behalf of the industry. I think yeah. it would be, yeah. I think it'd be great, and we'd love to partner with you to to make that happen. Yeah, I thought I was going to challenge you to yeah. tennis and, and 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 demonstrate the tennis. I don't want to play. I don't want anything to do with someone who's you playing D one tennis. tennis. <laughs> no, no way. I don't have the knees anymore for that. <laughs> no, I was high school average, so I am definitely not D one college level athlete but i definitely want to play some some pickleball my wife and i did buy the paddles we have not used them yet yeah (laughs) we are members of a a a, a club in east lansing that has uh tennis courts that are quickly becoming pickleball courts so (laughs) there are fewer tennis courts by the day and more pickleball courts to to meet demand so it's it's beyond a craze at this point uh and just a fan i think it's it's becoming big yeah it's it's been a great uh for us we've hosted many corporate events and team building events. So actually on Monday, we're going to be hosting the Experience Grand Rapids team. Oh, nice. Uh, to pick a ball. And we're working with the West Michigan Sports Commission. So it's really popular with the corporate world because anyone can play it. And it's it's quite easy to learn and it's fun. And I, I think there's really an opportunity for us as a state to promote Michigan as a center for, for the sport. I think Doug Small is going to be hyper competitive in that event. I can I can already see it. Yeah. He's coming. He's coming ready to play. Do you guys know how you know how fast we sold out for the Beer City Open? No. Like so, the in- Beer City Open we hosted uh, close to a thousand players, and it sold out in thirteen minutes. Wow! Wow! Okay. Most most tournaments in the country will have two hundred to three hundred, and we have an opportunity to keep growing this thing. It, that's how fast it is, and. I really credit Andrea Coop, who's one of the top football players in the world, and Paul Richards for starting this Bear City Open because it's one of the best tournaments. And what's great about it is the amount of volunteer work from the Grand Rapids Pickleball Club. There's you know, hundreds of volunteers make it happen. I've been to tournaments in like California where there's hardly any volunteers. And here the whole town really gets involved. And then we're very, very blessed. We wouldn't be able to do it without all these volunteers that make it happen. Nice. Are you going to be uh, hosting one of the, the, the tennis 
the tennis senior tour essentially has, has now turned into a pickleball tour. Uh, you're going to get the Sampresses and Agassiz of the world to come to Grand Rapids for uh, a pickleball tournament. You know, we would love to. You know, because the you know the Devosters bought a pickleball team. You oh. know, I would love for them to be able to bring these tennis legends. You know, here. You know, I'd love to see Bjorn Borg play. There we you know, go. Uh, that would be fun. Didn't like LeBron it. buy a team or something yeah. too? Yeah. LeBron versus DeVos. I mean, it's yeah, just LeBron, begging, begging to be happening. Tickets sold in no time. All right. I think, should we get into the lightning round, we think? George, you ready? Lightning round. It's intense. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just a few quick questions for you that we like to wrap up every interview with and get started. What is the last song that you listen to? Actually, I was on a flight last night from the British Virgin Island, and I love listening to jazz. The last song I listened to before we landed was uh, Street Life by the Crusaders and Randy Crawford. Great song. Nice. Nice. Long flight? Smooth flight for you? Smooth flight, but it was a long day. It was a 14-hour day. You know, we, had, we had to sit in Atlanta for like five hours. Oh. So I've been hearing a lot of that lately this summer. That's brutal. I'm sorry. What is the last show that you streamed? Well, I I saw it before, but while I was in the Caribbean, I actually rewatched Squid Games again. Oh, nice! Oh, I never watched that actually. Oh, it's intense. It's a, it's I a, heard. It's, it's a great. It's just unexpected, and I've been very impressed with what the Korean movie industry has done. You know, they're really coming up with some amazing shows, and this one is definitely one of the best ones. Nice. I'm late to the game, but maybe I'll have to check it out. Two more for you. What's your favorite tourism destination in Michigan? Well, I would have to say I, I love the whole Traverse City, Glen Arbor, that whole area there, that northwest area as a, a destination. But I also like going, you know, to uh, Saugatuck in Holland. Uh, I think that's nice. It's and nice and close to us here in West Michigan. Yeah, can't go wrong with any of those choices. And lastly, what is your go-to cocktail of choice for the nightmare? Yeah, of I'm, Grand I'm eager to hear your. I, I want to know your response on this one. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It is a martini, and I like both gin and both vodka martinis with blue cheese olives. Nice, no question. Extra dry? Uh, just a little bit of vermouth. You know what? I actually had the best martini in my life last week when I was I was in Paris, and we went to. The Hemingway Bar in in the Ritz, Paris, and it's known for their martinis. And they actually serve the martini very very cold, and they freeze the vermouth, and they put the the ice cube of vermouth in the martini, and just you know allows you to just melt it as much as you want, and then you can take it off when you've had enough vermouth in it. It was fantastic. George, are you uh, hiring a travel secretary that that <laughs> would travel with you? I I. I mean, I'd be interested. It, it, it was just the timing. It was actually, we celebrated, my wife Elena and I celebrated our 30th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Month, so that was our trip was to go back to Europe. Beautiful. Very cool. Yeah. A whirlwind tour the last uh, week and a half or here. So yeah. yeah thanks but for the, making the idea the though is travel allows you to bring, you know, travel allows me to bring back some ideas and incorporate it into our hotels and restaurants. That's what's great about it. You know, I come up like a lot of ideas that we come up with for our restaurants, like Madrid, you know, it's because of the, the travels that we've done. Some of the executives there have done, and we try to bring it back here to West Michigan. Still the best grilled octopus I've ever had at Madrid. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. 
Well, thank you for doing everything you do to make Grand Rapids the city that it is ever innovative, ever growing. It's a jewel for us in Michigan. We're happy to be able to highlight it and uh, we're happy to be able to highlight you and all the work you've done. So George, thank you very much for taking some time uh, to join us on What's With a Pineapple. It's my pleasure and congratulations on your podcast. This is uh, really a great idea for the state and we wish you all the best and uh, look forward to welcoming you, both of you here and play a little bit of pickleball and have a little bit of maybe uh, dinner and martinis. I'll bring the vermouth. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon, George. (laughs) Thanks, George. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.